Welcome back, and I just want to also extend my welcome to you. Uh, whether you're convinced of Christianity or unconvinced and not really sure what you think of it, I want you to know that we're glad you're here, whether you're struggling uh, or whether your spiritual life's never been better, you're welcome in this place, and we're glad you're here. Let me pray before we start. <clears throat> Father, we are thankful that the wanderings of our heart can't make your love depart for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. Father, would you meet us in this place tonight? We come from lots of different backgrounds and lots of different beliefs, and some of us have come here tonight and at one point, we felt like our spiritual life was good, but now you feel a million miles away from us. Others tonight come and they're struggling with pain and loneliness, and they're looking for one sentence, one word to give them hope. Father, some of us are mad and angry. We're angry at you, we're angry at our friends, angry at our parents. Others are cynical and bitter, and it seems like the cynicism and bitterness that we feel has, become, has begun to define us and actually made us less than human, and we don't like who we've become. But Lord, would you help us to see that we're actually all the same. That we all need a word from you tonight. That we all need your grace. And would you help us to see and help us to believe that you've actually come into the world in order to do something about our sin. You've come into the world to heal and to restore us. And to make things right. Father, we need to hear from you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll get in feedback. Anybody? Like a little bit. Um, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, look on with a friend. Or you can look on the handout uh, in front of you. Fall is one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, and yes, first and foremost, because I get to see you again after a long summer. But a close second is fall means football. College football. And when I get up on a Monday morning, my first thought is that it's Monday, but Saturdays are coming. And Saturday means college football 24-7 all day on Saturday. And I love it. And here's why I love it. I love the competition. I love the rivalry. I love the drama. I love the upsets. And in almost every game, there is that one point, that defining moment, that moment or turning point in the game. And you know what it's like. It comes down to that one spot 
or that one penalty flag, or that one play or sideline catch, or that one special teams play. That's the turning point or the defining moment of the game. Almost every game has something like that that you can point to. We saw it this past weekend, didn't we? How about the Rebels? And you know what play I'm going to talk I'm, I, Yeah, third quarter, Jeff Scott. He catches and returns a punt for a touchdown. And it was the turning point of the game. Tonight, in our study of the book of Exodus, we come to the turning point. We come to a defining moment in the book. Because Moses, at this point, is 80 years old. He's a forgotten old man in a foreign land tending someone else's sheep. And he meets God. And his life is never the same after that. This semester we've been looking at the book of Exodus and our theme that we're looking at this semester is that Exodus is the story of salvation. And so if Exodus is the story of salvation, an essential element to that story is meeting God. That's the topic that we're going to discuss tonight during our time together. This idea of meeting God. What does that look like? How do you know if you've met God? And to answer that question, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's Moses and the burning bush. And tonight, here's what we're going to learn from Exodus chapter 3. That meeting God involves encountering God in unexpected places. Secondly, it involves encountering God in unexpected ways. And when we encounter God, it pushes us out into an unexpected mission. Those are the three things we're going to look at in this passage. Let's look at number one. Encountering God in unexpected places. Look at verse one. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. The original language of the Old Testament is Hebrew. And in the Hebrew, this verse actually reads that Moses was watching sheep. And the verb there, watching, actually indicates continuation. And so it more literally reads this way. And Moses was watching and watching, and watching, and watching. And what that does for us is it brings us in to the story. And it reminds us of where Moses is. He's at a dead end. His life is on a detour. He's lonely. He has lost his identity. He's in no man's land. He's 80 years old, and he's in a foreign land. And remember last week... Moses wasn't a nobody. He had friends in high places. He was well-educated. He was raised under Pharaoh's roof. But now, his life is at a major dead end. And then out of nowhere, Moses encounters God and his life isn't the same. And I love what Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City, he says, when we think our life is on a detour... Or when we think our life is at a dead end, it's really Main Street, spiritually speaking. 
When we think our life is at a dead end or on a detour, it's really spiritual Main Street. Why does he say that? Well, think about it. When things are going wrong in your life, it forces you to think in ways that you don't normally think. And it forces you to seek God in ways that you otherwise wouldn't. And at this very moment, for Moses, he is in no man's land, tending sheep, and he sees a burning bush, but the bush is not consumed. It's inexplicable. Why is it inexplicable? Well, because burning bushes, they are consumed. But this bush is not consumed. And so Moses' view of reality right here gets challenged. He doesn't have a category for what he's witnessing and seeing. And so look at verse 3. It's very important. Notice what Moses does. Moses doesn't say, that's a little strange. That's a little weird. I'm going back to tending sheep. Or, that's not really happening. Or, ignore it. He doesn't do any of those things. Moses goes and he takes a closer look. And here's my question. What are the burning bushes right now in and around your life? What are the things in and around you that are forcing you to stop and to go and take a closer look? What are the things that are challenging your view of reality and challenging the way that you are living your life? That is how you know that you've had an encounter with God. Because that's what a spiritual encounter looks like. For example, maybe your view of reality is that life is all about pleasure. Maybe your view of reality is that life is about living to the fullest. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to live and do whatever it is that I want. And so you live for the weekend. And then on Sunday morning, you wake up in someone else's bed after the football game. And instead of being overjoyed thinking life couldn't be better, you're more empty and more alone And you've got this nagging ache deep down in your soul because your view of reality is being challenged. Or maybe you came from a hometown or a school and you were the cream of the crop. You were the best looking. You were the smartest. You were the most athletic. You were the most connected. You had the best personality. And then all of a sudden you get to Ole Miss and people are smarter than you. They're better looking than you. They have a better body than you. They're more connected than you. And it sends you into a tailspin. Because all of a sudden your view of reality is challenged. Because you, at this moment, are having an identity crisis. And you don't know who you are anymore. And then you start to think and realize that maybe you have been building your life on those things rather than building them on Jesus and who he says that he is. 
Or maybe your view of reality is challenged in that you thought of Christianity as if I just do X, Y, and Z, then things will work out for me. A plus B is going to equal C, and you're realizing that that's not the case. And it's left you angry and frustrated with God, and like Moses, forcing you to think about things in a new way. And maybe you've realized that your entire life, instead of serving God, you've actually been using God. Friends, all the time, God is putting burning bushes in and around our lives. And my question is, do you see them? Are you listening? You know, oftentimes what ends up happening is we end up coming to something like RUF and hearing something, or we hear a sermon at church, or maybe we're listening to a podcast, or reading a book, or reading the Bible, or talking to a friend, and we hear something, and it rocks us to the core in a good way, but then we quickly move on and ignore it, or deny it, or just simply get busy doing other things. Notice that Moses doesn't do that. Moses goes and he takes a closer look. And here's what I want us to see. This is the first point. Is that you'll never meet God until you stop and think for a while. And my question is, are you too busy? Is your life too full of good things even? That you have no time to stop and think. You have no time to reflect on maybe what God is doing inside you and around you. Are you willing tonight to take a closer look at your life? Because what if God is using these things that are happening in and around you that you feel right now at this very moment to help you to think in ways that you don't normally think? Maybe he's using things in your life to get you to seek him in ways that you otherwise wouldn't. What if those burning bushes are meant to get you to ask the deeper questions of life? Like, what am I here for? What am I living for? What's really important in life? What really matters in life? Those types of questions. You see, God shows up in unexpected places. What unexpected places is God at work and showing up in your life tonight? That's the first thing. Encountering God means that He shows up in unexpected places. And secondly, we encounter God when we see Him and encounter Him in unexpected ways. Look at verse 4. And so here's what's happened. Moses... He's tending sheep. He sees a burning bush. He goes to take a closer look at what is going on. And when he gets up to the bush, a voice, God calls out to him by name from within the bush. And here's what's interesting, is that if you look throughout Scripture, when God wants to make himself visible, he uses fire. Genesis chapter 15. He reveals himself to Abraham as a smoking pot and a flaming fire. Later on in the book of Exodus, he leads the people of God by a pillar of fire. 
At Mount Sinai, he gives his people the Ten Commandments and the whole mountain is engulfed in flames. Acts chapter 2, we get to the New Testament and when God shows up on the scene, he does so as tongues of fire. Why? Why that when God reveals himself, he seems to relate encountering him with encountering fire? Well, think about it. Fire, at the very same time, can both mesmerize you and melt you. Let me illustrate. In our backyard, we have an outdoor fireplace. And my family absolutely loves, during the colder months and the winter months, colder months of the fall and in the winter months, getting around this fire. We do s'mores and all that good stuff and hang out outside and the kids play. And we love doing that. And you know this from your experience from being around a campfire or whatever. Fires mesmerize you. They draw you in. And there's something about a fire, isn't there, that draws you into it. But at the very same time, as we're having fun and being mesmerized and drawn in by the fire, always in the back of my mind, here's what I'm thinking. The girls, I hope they don't get too close and maybe their jacket would catch on fire. Or I'm thinking, I need to make sure the logs are really in there well so that a log doesn't roll out and catch something on fire. Why? Well, because we know that as mesmerizing as that fire is, it also has the power to melt us. And at the moment that you and I try to manipulate fire, it tells us very quickly who's in control. As I was studying for this, there was a commentator that I read, and I loved what he had to say. He says, you can mold clay, you can cut wood, you can dash and break rocks, but you cannot manipulate fire. Fire modes you. And that's exactly what we see, isn't it? If you look at verses 5 and 6, Moses is drawn in. He's mesmerized. But then, at that very instant, we see that he's afraid and he hides his face and we get this picture of Moses basically curling up in the fetal position saying, please don't touch me. Please don't touch me. And the question is, when is the last time that has been our experience with God? You see, when you encounter God, God changes you. You don't change Him. And if I'm honest, I think, and if you're honest, that's what we want. I don't know about you, but I want a God that I can control that I can manipulate to do exactly what I want, that I can mold into my image. That's our tendency with God. And we normally go to one or two extremes. We either kind of mold God into a melting or a holy God, and He's so holy and so other that when we think of how we mold Him, we think of Him as just waiting around the corner to pounce on us when we mess up. And those folks that mowed God into that image tend to be all about dutiful obedience and they look down at others who aren't quite doing it right. 
Or maybe you go to the other extreme and you've molded God into this mesmerizing, loving, and tender God who always accepts you and loves you and is completely on board with every decision you make and who never challenges you and never trumps any of your decisions or anything that you're thinking. But here's the kicker. Neither of those will change you. Because when you mold God into your own image, that God cannot be there for you in the midst of your fear. When you mold God into your image, He can't be there to comfort you in the midst of your pain. He can't give you the security that you long for. When you mold God into your image, He can't take away your guilt and your shame. Because you know what you need? And you know what I need? We need a God of fire. We need a God that melts us on the one hand, but mesmerizes us on the other hand. In other words, we need a God that's both beautiful and holy. That's how you know that you've met the real God. And so then the question, and the natural question is, wait a minute, so if I'm a sinner, and that's who God is, a fiery God, how in the world am I supposed to stand before that God and draw near to Him and know Him and not be consumed? That's a great question. Look at verses 13 and 14. Moses It's pretty interesting. He's basically saying, okay, you know, I'm seeing a burning bush. This is God. By the way, what's your name? Who are you? Do you have a name? And what does God say? I am who I am. And here's what's interesting about that is years later in John chapter 8, Jesus is arguing with the religious leaders of his day. And in the course of the argument, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Am. And from that moment on, you know what happened? They wanted to kill him. And you know why they wanted to kill him? It's because he was saying that he was God in the flesh. He was saying that he was there in the bush. Jesus was in the bush. And so you know how you and I can stand and not be consumed before a holy God is we need a mediator. We need Jesus. Jesus, a God who is both holy and loving. So we've seen that we encounter God in unexpected places and in unexpected ways, and that causes us to move out into the world in an unexpected mission. Look at verses 7 through 12. Another thing that's remarkable is that when you look at the Bible, any time that someone has an encounter with God similar to this, we see it in Abraham, we see it in Isaiah, we see it here with Moses, God always sends them out. Notice what happens right after he reveals himself in the burning bush. He says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to go to the most powerful man in the world and tell him that you're about to come take away his entire labor force. 
How do you know if you've encountered God? What's well, way more than just having an emotional experience. It's way more than having and getting inspiration and feeling more spiritual. You know that you've encountered God when you move out. When you stop only thinking about yourself and you move out into the world towards other people, you know that you've encountered God and when you encounter God, you become bold and tender. You become bold because you have an unwavering commitment to stand and fight against sin and to pursue holiness in your life. But at the very same time, you're compassionate and you're loving And people don't get you because you don't look down on them and judge them, but you actually care for them in a very real and tender way. When you encounter God, when you're criticized, instead of getting defensive, you actually go to that person and you seek to listen because you know that you've gotten the verdict from the only person that really matters, God Himself. And so you're not dependent upon their verdict because you're secure in who Jesus has made you to be, and you go to them and you apologize and say, help me understand why you were so critical of me. And you listen instead of getting defensive. When you encounter God, you go to your fraternity brother or your sorority sister, and you apologize for what you said about them and what you did to them with no ifs, ands, or buts. And when you've encountered God, you go to that friend who has some very destructive patterns in their life, and you love them and you speak the truth, of them, the truth to them in love. And when they get angry at you and frustrated because you confronted them, you don't leave but you actually stick with them and you're there for them and you don't pull away. You know you've encountered God when you go to things like Kids Club or the other Mercy Ministries in Oxford and you do it not because you want to build your resume, but you do it because you genuinely care and love the people that you'll be serving and interacting with. Tony Campolo, he's a pastor and an author. This is a true story. He tells a story about a time that he was in Hawaii and he was speaking at a conference. And it was the first night and he finds himself awake at 2.30 in the morning, hungry for breakfast. He's jet-lagged. And so he gets in his car and he's going all over Honolulu looking for somewhere to eat. And so he drives down this one road and down kind of off, down an alleyway, he sees uh, a diner that's open. And he goes and he pulls into the diner and he walks in and he said it was a major greasy spoon. Like you didn't even want to touch the menu kind of place. And so he's the only one in this place. And he's up at the counter and he orders, he's eating alone. It's obvious, you know, early in the morning. And he says that about three in the morning, the door flies open and in walk eight or nine provocative prostitutes. He said they're loud. 
and crude, and he's feeling very uncomfortable. And so he puts his money on the counter, and he pushes away, and he heads for the door quietly. And when he gets to the door, and he starts to open it, he hears one of the girls say that tomorrow is her 39th birthday. So his wheels start turning. And when the girl says that it's her 39th birthday, he hears all the other girls say, why are you telling us that? What do you want us to do? Sing happy birthday? Buy you a cake? Who cares? He says it was obvious that she was dejected and felt very sad. And so he decided to go back and sit and wait for them to leave. And so he waits for the girls to leave. And then when they leave, he calls the cook, whose name is Harry, out from behind the counter, introduces himself, and he says, hey, do those girls come in here every night? He said, yeah, every night, same time, 3 o'clock in the morning. And he says, what about the one that was closest to me that says, said it was her 39th birthday? Does she come in here every night? He says, oh, yeah, that's Agnes. Isn't that a great name? Uh, <laughs> Agnes, she comes in here every, every night. And he said, I got an idea. How about tomorrow night, I get here at 2.30, I'll bring the balloons, the streamers, the confetti, I'll make a big sign that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes, and I'll bring a cake, I'll bring it all, and we're going to celebrate her birthday. He said, That's awesome, let's do it. 2.30 the next morning, Tony Campolo comes in, decorates this place out, He says by 2.45, every prostitute in Honolulu is in that place. Wall-to-wall prostitutes. (laughs) Evidently, the word had gotten out about this party. And and so at about 3 a.m., right on cue, the doors fly open and in walk Agnes and her friends, and the whole place erupts in the singing of Happy Birthday. He says in that moment, he has never seen someone so visibly shaken. Her eyes are filled with tears. He said, and just as the singing starts to die down, here comes Harry around the corner with the cake. And he says, at this point, she did, her knees buckle and she just loses it and just starts weeping right there in front of everybody. The singing ends and Harry, being the insensitive guy that he is, is saying, saying come on, Blow out the candles, blow out the candles. If you don't, I will. And of course he did. (laughs) And then he starts in, cut the cake, cut the cake. Everybody wants some cake. And then Agnes looks up to him and says, if it's okay with you, I'd like to save the cake. Because I've never had a cake in my entire life. And I want to take it with me. I want to savor it for a while. And so she marches out of this diner with the cake. (laughs) And you could heard a pin drop. Remember, wall-to-wall prostitutes. And now the center of the party is gone. And so Tony Campolo, remember, he's a pastor. He said, I did the only thing I knew to to do. I said, let's pray. (laughs) He says, funny, a prayer meeting at 3.30 in the morning with wall-to-wall prostitutes. And so he prays. And then after the prayer's over, Harry nudges him and says, 
you didn't tell me you were a preacher. And Tony Campolo says, yeah, I am. He goes, well, what kind of church do you belong to? And Campolo says the words came just right. And he says, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties at 3.30 in the morning for prostitutes. And Harry says, if there were a church that loved people like that, I'd join it. Wouldn't we all? You want to know if you've encountered God? When you encounter God, you start loving people like that. Why? Because when you encounter God, the God of fire, you realize very quickly that the only reason you are not consumed is because Jesus has been so gracious and so patient with you. Friends, that's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, would you help us?